0: Pastor James Cadiz explains why we need to understand the core of the problem God wants to address if we're going to get a better understanding of prophecy
1: in reality, you're not going to understand the overall theme of everything that God is trying to say through Isaiah if you don't understand the core of the problem. And that brings us to a very important aspect of what we do when we study Bible prophecy, and that is we must look at the problem that God is seeking to address, right? It's very dangerous to look at a prophetic word that's being given without analyzing the problem that brought us to that prophetic word. I have found that peace only comes from You. I have found that joy only comes from You. Cause all I need is.
0: volume of the book is the title of our current series on light on the hill pastor james cadiz is teaching in a study through the bible emphasizing important prophecy each step of the way today he'll be in the book of isaiah as you'll hear next it's worth some time analyzing the core of the problem before delving into this prophecy and to get to know isaiah on a deeper level here's pastor james with more
1: so yeah so there are some things that i really want you to be able to grasp and understand and know and because if i stopped for one moment to sort of go over every single thing that we find in all of these prophecies that are being given to us we're never going to get through this so there are some things that are very important for you to just sort of grasp in the onset and um some of them are very valuable like for example when we get to jeremiah I am going to stop for a moment and emphasize one section of prophecy that was given to Jeremiah regarding something that might not seem like a big deal, but it involved the purchase of a field, of a piece of property. And some people might look at that passage and go, well, James, that is not nearly as, I don't know if I should use this term, as sexy of a prophecy, for lack of a better term, as many of the other prophecies in the Bible, right? And in all of these other, because there's all kinds of other prophecies like the destruction of certain countries and cities and things that are going on today but that becomes a really important one why is that an important passage because we actually get a picture of how god speaks to his people and it's a repeatable picture right and jeremiah was spoken to by god a very specific way and that way did not involve sitting there and listening to an audible voice And if we can understand how God spoke to men like him, then we can also better understand the tools and the ways and the patterns associated with how God speaks to us today, right? So these are areas that I think we have to stop and look over and that's what I'm hoping we're going to be able to do with the body of work that we're going to be looking at today. So I think we start with the basics when we actually get into the prophecies in Isaiah. Um, It goes without saying the the name Eziah means salvation. Uh, Actually, it's another way of saying that. There's uh, several different things that kind of go behind that. But understand something. We call Isaiah a major prophet. And the reason why we call him a major prophet isn't because the words that he shared were major, uh, much more major than any other prophecy. Uh, and I joke around all the time. I say there was nothing minor about the minor prophets, right? But the reason why we ter- we use the term major prophet is because he has a larger body of work to be able to look to. And the, the, the prophets that wrote larger bodies of work were called major prophets because there was a lot more uh, content and a lot more insight. And this becomes significant to us for purposes of what we're doing today, because the more data you have by any given author, the better you're able to determine the information and how it actually goes forth and the better you're able to actually get stuff that you need to to better uh, be able to understand how God actually communicates not only with his people, but how he communicates to a world that doesn't know him. And I think that that becomes very, very important. And um, it's kind of interesting. I had somebody call me up recently who is uh, uh, starting a YouTube channel, and he asked me this. He said, Pastor James, can you do me a favor and look at the analytics of my my videos? And perhaps maybe the analytics can tell me something about what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. And I tell the person, well, of course, Analytics always speak very loudly and vividly concerning what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. So I'd be happy to take a look at your analytics. The problem was when I committed to doing that, I had this sick feeling in my stomach that we would run into the problem that I knew that we uh, that we actually did run into. And that was the very moment I opened up his analytics page, I recognized that not enough people were watching his videos to be able to give me a good understanding or a good data set to tell him what's going on and what isn't going on. And I explained to him, I said, bro, you need to be doing this for a little bit longer because if I don't have a certain amount of views that I can apply these analytics to, I'm never going to be able to tell you exactly what's going on. And I'm never gonna be able to give you an understanding of the patterns that I see in the body of work that you're doing. And it's never gonna be able to give us anything that's worthwhile of even being able to examine because we don't have that information. And so I want you to think of the words given to us by the prophet Isaiah as this massive, huge, insanely large, full body of data that we can stop for one moment and we can actually analyze. And that data gives us a lot of insight into the patterns Patterns that come forth when God speaks to his people and when God speaks to people that are not his, right? And so there's some really interesting stuff there. And so, what I hope to do is to show you a lot of the peaks that exist in that data that you might better be able to understand the patterns of how God actually works. So, there are some things that we have to stop and look at for just a moment to be able to better understand what's actually happening. Now, when you look at Isaiah chapter one, and this is one area that is worth stopping at and looking for just one second, you have to recognize something very important, right? And that is he begins immediately to talk about the sins that are going on in the Southern kingdom, right? He talks about all the evil things that are happening and all the wickedness that's taking place. And in essence, he is building a case for why God is bringing forth the message that he's actually bringing. And this is a very, very important thing because in reality, you're not going to understand the overall theme of everything that God is trying to say through Isaiah if you don't understand the core of the problem. And that brings us to a very important aspect of what we do when we study Bible prophecy, and that is we must look at the problem that God is seeking to address, right? It's very dangerous to look at a prophetic word that's being given without analyzing the problem that brought us to that prophetic word. And there's lots of examples in the Bible related to this issue, and it's very important to be able to understand it. Can I give you an example of this, guys? so that you know where this is commonly misappropriated and oftentimes completely misunderstood we're going to get there in for example Jeremiah 29:11 right Jeremiah 29 11 is such an example where if you don't know the problem that's being addressed initially when that passage is being uh, stated, you're not going to understand the intent of the communication of that passage. And we'll go over there and talk about it. But here's another passage that is uh, also as wide known or as well known. And that is this. And some of you maybe can complete this uh, prophecy that I give to you right now. Many of you understand what this prophecy is. And we oftentimes quote it on days like the National Day of Prayer and so on and so forth but here it is here's the here's the phrase and tell me if you can complete it you can just yell out and complete it if my people who are called come on keep on going keep going keep going yes yes you're you're there right yes if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways what's the promise that he gives anybody that he is going to hear their prayers and he is going to, in essence, heal their land. The problem is we claim that prophecy in the name of Jesus, don't we? And we listen to that. And when we go to people in a time where we pray together as a nation and we pray together as the body of Christ, we say, listen, if we as God's people will humble ourselves and will pray and we'll turn from our wicked ways and we'll seek God and we'll literally do what God has asked us to do, then God is going to heal the nation. But the context of that passage does not necessarily communicate that exact principle. You have to know what the problem is that created that issue in the first place. And if you know the problem that created that issue, it will give you insight as into why that prophecy was communicated. And then it will even become one of those contexts in which you will better be able to appreciate things. And so the context of this happens to center around the fact that if the people of God, this is during the commission of the temple, if the people of God turn their back on the Lord, then God will destroy them, right? That God will completely destroy their land and deprive their land of things like water and food, and that there will be famine in the land, right? And so there's a point in time where the people of God began to experience that, and when they questioned the Lord regarding that issue, the Lord basically said, it's because you've turned your heart away from me. You have not listened to me. You haven't listened to my voice, but if you will repent, if you will pray, if you will turn from your wicked ways and you'll seek my face, then I'm going to restore the condition of the land that is been so unbelievably deprived and that's where you're going to be able to find the solution that you're looking for so you don't understand the context of that prophecy if you don't know why it was given and in light of what problem that existed in the first place you see what i'm saying and so this is very important because when you analyze any prophetic word that's been given to you you cannot receive that verse that's being quoted to you unless you analyze the core of the problem, right? And the core of the problem is oftentimes given to us by the Lord in the passage before he actually states exactly what's going on. And if you wanna know the real core of the problem that Isaiah continues to speak about, The core of the problem is in Isaiah chapter 1. He gives it to us. And so if you're going to understand any of the prophecies given to you in Isaiah, you have to understand the reason why. God begins to make him aware of the situation and what the condition of the land is and makes it very, very clear concerning these things. And he off the bat immediately exhorts them to repentance. He goes to them in verse 16 and he says, Look, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil from your doings from before. Before mine eyes cease to do evil and he continues to talk about this and here's something else that you guys need to know this is really critical right you have to look at how the book is classified as a whole because the book changes radically and when i say radically i mean super radically when you get to chapter 40 the first 39 chapters of Isaiah seem to be doom and gloom and harsh judgment, right? It deals with God generally judging sin. Now, I know that there are some exceptions to this because you look at themes of restoration, like in chapter two of Isaiah, for example, you'll see some of that going on. But the reality of it is when you go through the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, it is literally all about this. This guy is harsh he's uh very indignant you get there's a there's a message that is just so unbelievably insanely hard and difficult and painful to the point when people analyze isaiah they actually accuse it of being two completely different books They say it's a completely different author when you get to chapter 40 and you get into chapter 66. But if you would take the time to analyze chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, you'll understand perfectly why Isaiah is broken up from chapters 1 through 39 into 40 through 66. And you're not going to understand that designation unless you spend the time understanding the core of the problem. And then you'll be able to see the whole body of work that's being given. And it makes a lot of sense, right? And so that's the first thing that we learn from a book like Isaiah. We we can also learn this, by the way, from Jeremiah, and we can learn this from other prophets as well, because we see the same pattern being established. But typically, the bigger the prophetic work is, the easier it is to identify this pattern. And God brings this pattern into fruition. He tells us what the problem is. That's how he starts, right? And after giving us a picture of the problem, he then talks to us about the potential consequences that could happen if no repentance takes place. And then when, when the Perception exists that nobody is going to repent and they're going to harden their heart. God then begins to prophesy concerning the consequence and oftentimes it's painful. And yet after that, he begins to tell us what's going to happen after that time and what God is going to do. So, with that in mind, it is really critical. The other thing that we have to do, and this is very important, is we have to take some time to get to understand the story of the man that God uses in these prophecies, right? You have to do that because if you don't do that again, you're not going to understand what God is doing as a whole because understanding the personality and the life and the lifestyle of the messenger is going to help you better understand the message because God takes those characteristics as well. And and uses them to create the completion of the body of work that he wants communicated to the audience that's being said. And it's very, very important that we understand that, right? And I can give you an example of why this is so critical and so important. I get lots of angry messages on a pretty regular basis. And um, when a certain audience is established with me, they stop sending me these types of messages. But the type of messages that I get when somebody first watches me in the first place is they say this. You want to guess? You scream all the time, James. You're so loud! You can't, there's no such thing as turned down with you. You look like you're so angry, Pastor James. I don't even know if I can handle watching you. And I, I hear this a lot, right? People say this a lot. And it's funny because what ends up happening is I don't even have to respond to people when they make those comments, especially online, because tons of people who've been watching me for a while will make funny comments. The com, kind of comments are like, dude, none of us have seen Pastor James scream. That's not screaming. That's just Pastor James's personality. And if Pastor James is quiet, then you know he's sick or you know something is wrong because that's 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 just the way pastor James is he's always this way and then some people will say you guys don't get it pastor James is from the Middle East people in the Middle East are always loud you don't understand James's culture this is the way it is this is how James communicates you would never say this to a black man in the middle of a church when he's like literally talking about some powerful message no one ever tells a black preacher you're too loud quiet down as a matter of fact they oftentimes tell them you're too quiet get louder right what do they tell him turn up come on turn up right that's what they say because there's a cultural aspect concerning this right and if you then begin to understand the intonation of the variable that exists within the communication style of the person who's actually writing or communicating you're going to be able to better understand the message because when you realize that what i'm doing right now is not me speaking with the representation of anger and frustration and angst and all that kind of stuff then you'll have a better time understanding the message that's actually being communicated to you because you'll realize that the way i communicate happens to be very passionate and hopefully you'll catch on to that type of passion and you your Yourself will begin to get excited the same way i get excited about the very things that we talk about and your understanding of what's being communicated to you will actually change substantially right there's an added benefit to all of this too, and that's if you're tired, you're never gonna fall asleep in one of my Bible studies. And here's the thing, if I do hear you or if I do watch you falling asleep in the what's one of my Bible studies, then I just have to absolutely commend you and love on you because how anybody could fall asleep in the midst of something this loud is beyond me, right? My children are that way. I have no idea how they can fall asleep when I talk, you know, but they're that way because they sort of, there's been a conditioning that way because we just are that way. Matter of fact, it's really funny when you think about my own household uh, my sister-in-law was this way as well when my brother married uh, Kathy and of course uh, when I married Nicole both Kathy and Nicole had very similar personalities when we first got married very quiet and very reserved I used to remember Kathy I just when I first met Kathy when she first started coming around and she was heard my brother uh, uh, knew that they were going to get married and they, they, they kind of came around all the time I'm like if this girl doesn't figure this out quickly she's not surviving this there's just there's no way because honestly they would come in she would come in and she would pop back sometimes with the way we communicated to each other and it's really funny because i remembered about i don't know where it was it may have been around the eight-year mark i don't know five six-year mark maybe even sooner than that uh, uh kathy is no longer the quiet shy person that she seems to be out where you know where everybody is when she's at our house she just gets in there with all of us hey i tell you she's like and the reason why is because now she she understands a part of our culture matter of fact it's really interesting because when her family members come Over and we all hang out together, like the family on her side come over and we all hang out together. It's like culture shock for them, right? I think they're used to it now because my brother, my brother and Kathy have been married for a very long time. But it's kind of funny how that works. And Nicole was always the same way. Nicole actually hated it when we would get loud or aggressive with one another in our culture. Listen, when you're at home and you don't like something somebody else does, you know this is where I was brought up, kind of where we were brought up. You just go and you have at it. It's just the way it is. And you tell people things like. That was ridiculous. You made a fool of yourself. Maybe you ought to shut up before the next time you open your mouth and show everybody how much of a fool you are. We talk to each other this way in our household. And the funny thing about that is, is like, she's sitting like, oh my gosh, my family's falling apart. I'm losing my family. I've only been married to James for like six months. And then she's puzzled to like find out like why in the world are they still loving each other? And why are they hugging each other and laughing and joking and 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 and, and just, you know, totally like nothing ever happened. It's because that's the way it is. We're a culture where we're just with one another and that's just how it, how it is and our communication is different. Now, why is that important? Because now that I've been married to, to Nicole for a long time and now that Kathy's been married to John, they understand where the signals of anger really exist. We're not angry for being ourselves, right? But they know when something is really bad because they know the culture, they know the background. And if you will understand in many ways the culture and the background and the, uh, the setting behind the method of communication that's being given to you, then you're gonna better be able to read through the intonations of communication that are being spoken for. Now, the question that you have to ask is, how do you understand the emotional makeup of isaiah right that i mean you honestly you do have to get to know that a little bit if you don't get to know that you're not going to understand it all it's not going to make a lot of sense Well, the answer to that question is in Isaiah chapter 6. That is where you are going to understand exactly the mechanics of Isaiah. You're going to understand what he's all about. You're going to understand what makes him tick. You're going to understand kind of uh, who he is and and what everything stands for. And it's interesting because when you read a passage like Isaiah chapter 6, what ends up happening, by the way, is you begin to develop this astounding understanding of a man who is so deeply flawed that at one point in his life, he didn't believe he could be used by God because his mouth was so foul if you sat down and talked to Isaiah for any period of time Isaiah was a person who was characterized by his bad language he cursed all the time he was a person that had what you would call a very unsanctified mouth and yet God got a hold of him in the midst of all of that and what's even more interesting than that is that God got a hold of Isaiah in the midst of a time when Isaiah was going through immense tragedy isaiah was going through a tremendous amount of pain why because he notes that to us in isaiah chapter 6 he tells us this in the very first verse. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. When Uzziah died, that was very painful for Isaiah. We know that Isaiah and Uzziah were actually very close, and upon the death of Uzziah, that just substantially affected Isaiah, to the point where Isaiah was filled with grief. He was filled with sadness. That's not something that's a secret to us. It was very difficult for him, and this is perhaps why the reason why he, he even brought up the whole Situation of what had happened to Uzziah. Listen, it was in the king, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. God met me. God spoke to me. I had an experience with God and God confronted me and he dealt with me on some things. And I and I began to be able to see an aspect and a side of God that I'd never seen before. And in doing so, God humbled me. He brought me to a place of humility. And he basically sanctified me. And he cleared my mouth. And he did something to me that was so different. And I basically told him, Look, Lord, now that you've forgiven me and now that you've set me apart, look, I'm here use me i i you know i want to be used by you and god says okay i'm going to use you i'm going to use you in a great way and then something interesting happens because when you actually get into that portion of isaiah chapter six you find out god's core mission for isaiah god tells him this is what i want you to do
0: we'll see what that is in a few moments so don't rush away this is light on the hill with pastor james cadiz This series entitled In the Volume of the Book emphasizes the prophecy found in every book of the Bible. To catch what you may have missed in the series, just go to lightonthehillradio.com or listen wherever you get your podcasts. The studies are also available through the Light on the Hill app. We're thankful for the listeners that come alongside of us with prayer and even financial support. You help us do what we do each day, and we're so grateful for that. To donate today to help us deliver God's word daily, visit lightonthehillradio.com. You can also give through the Light on the Hill app. If you enjoy Bible prophecy and want to hear even more, I recommend Pastor James's online videos. Many of them relate to current events and connect to Bible prophecy. You can access them at jamescadiz.com You can also access Countdown to Eternity there or at countdown2eternity.com. the number two, eternity.com. Whether you're a longtime listener or new to our program, we'd love to hear from you. Send us your Bible prophecy questions and your prayer requests. You can do so through our website, lightonthehillradio.com. Now let's return to our Bible study. Here's Pastor James in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9.
1: Verse 9, and he said, Go and tell this people, Hear you indeed, but understand not. See you indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand uh, with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered until the cities be wasted without uh, inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet, In it shall be a tenth, and it shall return and shall be eaten as a uh, teal tree and an oak whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Very interesting. Because if you stop for one moment to talk about this commission that's given to Isaiah, Isaiah says, God, how long do you want me to preach this heavy message? Like, how is that even going to work? God says, You preach that message until they're all taken away from the land. You preach the message until the tree is cut down. And God says there's going to be a small remnant. There's going to be a small group of people that I'm going to end up preserving. And in essence, the picture that's created is that God's going to create a new tree from a stump. You think about that, right? Now, why is that so important for us? Because if we're students of Bible prophecy... We are going to understand how valuable God's word is to us regarding future events because we are classified in the eyes of God as that remnant that continues to follow him faithfully in the midst of a world that continues to rebel against God. And do you guys understand that we are about to face a world that is going to meet God's judgment And the cost of that judgment is going to be total and complete annihilation. It's going to be just complete destruction. And yet there is a remnant that God is going to preserve. There's There's a remnant that God is going to hold fast. And then he's going to use that remnant to create something brand new, to create something beautiful.
0: We'll get back to our series in the volume of the book next time on Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz. This program is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Signal Hill online at lightonthehillradio.com and jamescadiz.com. I have found That peace only comes
1: from you I have found That joy only comes from me. Cause all I need is.